if you're a celebrity with lots of money, the done thing seems to be to give a ridiculously extravagant present to the people in your life. For example, a few years ago, for Father's Day, the American singer Beyonce gave her husband Jay-Z a private jet worth a cool $40 million. <laughs> it's not Father's Day, it's Father's Day. Father. And then Tom Cruise, he also bought his wife, at that time, Katie Holmes, a jet, this time just for $20 million, so it was a bargain. But she said it was like a bus, only faster. And she hardly ever used it because she doesn't like flying. Then in 2010, Adam Sandler, he bought each of his four co-stars on the film Grown Ups a Maserati worth something like a quarter of a million dollars just to say thanks for being with me in the film. Then back in the 80s, anybody remember the 80s? The young people won't remember the 80s. Uh, Mike Tyson, remember Mike Tyson, that lovely man? Uh, who at the height of his boxing career, he bought his wife a solid gold bathtub worth $2 million. But those things aren't just, uh, they're not just aspects of today's world or modern life, because even those gifts are small change compared to this, the Koinur diamond, which was given to Queen Victoria in 1849 by the last Maharaja of the Sikh Empire. Its ownership is highly disputed. Some people claim it was stolen. I'll not go into that. And although its value is difficult to measure, some people value it as something like a billion dollars. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that even if I had anywhere near the amount of money required to give any of those presents, then I don't think I'd be bothered. And I hope all of you would have more sense than that. These gifts are just ridiculously extravagant. I was brought up to be a lot more careful with money than that. Now, I know some of you will blame my Scottish heritage for that, but I don't think so. I think it just makes sense to use our resources carefully, to, to save what we can, to spend within our means, and to make sure you're getting value for money. But in our Christian lives, this kind of cautious restraint doesn't always make sense. In some situations, we are actually called to be extravagant. We're going to look at John chapter 12 this morning. We're working through John uh, in our Bible studies. So we're in John chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 1 down to verse 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint, about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected 
Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. It was six days before the Passover. So we're now getting into the the critical days of Jesus' ministry. The opposition and hostility against Jesus is intensifying. The time when he would lay down his life for sinners on the cross is fast approaching. But at the start of this week, the most important week in world history, Jesus enjoyed dinner with his friends. Now John, he didn't record where in Bethany this dinner was held. But Mark says it was in the home of a man named Simon the leper. Now we don't know anything else about the host of this dinner. But we do know who the guest of honour was. John wrote, a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Simon knew that the most important person there that day was Jesus. He deserved to be given that place of honour. He deserved all the focus and all the praise during that meal. Later in Revelation, in fact, John wrote about thousands of angels who in a loud voice sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And so this morning we've met together to give Jesus that honour and the praise that he alone deserves. He is the guest of honour here this morning. We are here to recognise his value, to express our respect for him, our admiration, our love. And to give him first place in our lives. But there are many ways that we can do this. At that dinner were three people whose lives had been transformed by Jesus. Each of them were grateful for what Jesus had done for them. But each of them expressed that love in different ways. So let's just have a look at those three different people and how they expressed that love and respect and honour for Jesus. First of all, verse 2, we can see that Martha, she served. Martha rolled up her sleeves, she helped prepare and then serve the food at the dinner. Now this seems to be Martha's kind of instinctive way to honour Jesus. On an earlier occasion, when Jesus was in Bethany, she actually opened up her home 
to Jesus and to all the disciples. And again, he'd been incredibly busy preparing and serving dinner to all of them. But that time, you may remember, it's recorded in Luke's Gospel, that time she got so frustrated with all the work that she had to do, and she bitterly complained that her sister Mary was just sitting there listening to Jesus. This is what she said to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But this time, there's no sign of that anger and frustration. So it seems that she'd accepted her role and willingly used her gifts and her energy to serve the Lord. Practical work is an incredibly important way in which we can honour the Lord. And so we should do this without complaining. This is what James says, uh, sorry, Peter says in his letter. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Open your home, serve a meal, give a cup of coffee, sit down and care for people. All those things are incredibly important. So if this is God's call in our lives, then this is one way that we can honour him. This is what Peter also said in his letter. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Serving in practical ways isn't like a kind of second class way to honour God. It's a way, and a really important way, that we can do that. Whether it's serving tea and coffee at the end of our service, whether it's just caring for somebody, whether it's working in the shoebox centre, or any of those ways, we can honour the Lord through that service. And we can work enthusiastically in that. Because we know that Jesus will reward all of those things that we do for him. One of my favourite verses, I know I've got a lot of them, but one of them is Matthew 10. 42, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. cup of cold water, as simple as that could be, yet Jesus sees it, recognises it, values it, and will reward it if it's done in his name. So Martha, she worked. She worked enthusiastically to express her love. But Lazarus, well, Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. One of the ways that he expressed his love was just in fellowship. It's so important, I think, to remember that when Jesus saves us, rescues us from death and brings into new life, that's not just so we can go and live our own life. Just spend our time on our own. Just doing our own thing. Instead it's so that we can live in fellowship with Him. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So that fellowship that Lazarus was having with Jesus was a crucial way of expressing love. 
Spending time with Jesus. I wonder how much time we have spent with him recently. But Lazarus did more than just spend time with Jesus. If you look at verse 9, it says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. People were amazed when they heard about what happened to Lazarus. Remember, we're looking at that uh, the last couple over the last few weeks about him being raised from the dead after four days in the tomb. And so they flocked to meet Lazarus and to see Lazarus for themselves. I know many of us have been discussing and talking and, and wondering what it would have been like with Lazarus. Where was he over those four days? Uh, did he ever talk about it? What did he experience? Was he happy to come back from where he was, back into life? And all of those questions. And I guess people in those days were curious about it too. They wanted to know. But crucially, Lazarus didn't attract all of that attention for his own benefit. He wasn't trying to become some kind of celebrity. He wasn't looking for a book deal out of this. Instead, he was using the opportunity to point people to Jesus. And he did this effectively. Look at verse 11. On account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. People saw the transformation in Lazarus' life. They heard his story. And as a result, they put their faith in Jesus. They came to see Lazarus, but instead they really saw Jesus. And as we thought about last week, Lazarus was so effective in doing this that the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. He was such a powerful witness to the identity of Jesus that the religious leaders saw him as a threat. So they wanted to silence him, bump him off and put him back in that tomb that Jesus had rescued him out of. And if we've experienced Jesus as a resurrection into life, if we've been rescued from death into, brought into eternal life, then we too are called to express our love for Jesus by witnessing to him in this world. For that, you don't need to be an expert in theology. You don't need to be gifted in speaking. You just need to share the story of what Jesus has done for you. That's what the apostles did. They were so excited about Jesus and all that he is and all that he had done in their lives and how he could do in other people's lives that even when they were threatened by the Sanhedrin to keep quiet or else, or else their lives would be in danger, they said this, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Wouldn't that be wonderful if if we could say that? Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could say that as a church? We just cannot help talking about Jesus and all that he has done in our lives and all that he means to us and all that he will do in our lives. Is that what we're like? That wherever we go, we just always just want to tell people about Jesus? 
Not so that people will look at us, but so that people can see Jesus and they can put their faith in him. So Martha worked and Lazarus witnessed. But Mary, well, Mary worshipped. Verse 3, Mary took a pint, about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, Matthew and Mark record uh, this event and in their, uh, in their Gospels, Mary anoints Jesus' head. But John focuses on the anointing of Jesus' feet and wiping them with her hair. It was an amazingly humble act of love and devotion. But it was also amazingly extravagant. By the custom of this day, a host could show hospitality and honour to a distinguished guest by sprinkling on their head a, a drop of nard. Maybe a drop of two. That perfume was so special, having been imported all the way from India, that this tiny amount, a drop or two, would have shown, would have been sufficient to have shown that love and that respect. But Mary didn't just drop, put a drop or two of this perfume on Jesus. She took a flask of perfume and she poured the whole lot on Jesus. Judas, he seemed to know the value of things even although he didn't know the value of Jesus. He estimated that this perfume was worth a year's wages. Now the average wage in, in, in Ireland these days, seemingly, is around 40,000. That's about the average wage. So that gives us some indication of what we're talking about here. Of the cost of perfume. But the value of that sacrifice wasn't really in the monetary value of the perfume. You can't just put a price on it in, as it was in these, those days, denarii, or in today, in euro. Once Jesus, he saw a poor woman give two small copper coins into the temple treasury. Tiny little coins. In monetary value, it was nearly next to nothing. It was nearly worthless. But Jesus told his disciples that she put in much more than all the rest with her big bags of money being dropped into the temple treasury. Jesus said they gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. So our love and worship is not really measured by how much we give. but rather by how much we hold back from giving. Mary's worship is not really measured in the price of that perfume, but in what it cost her to give it when she gave it all. This was her treasured possession. It might have been a family heirloom, or maybe even her life savings. But she willingly gave it all to Jesus. And that is what real worship looks like. It's much more than singing some beautiful songs. 
It's much more than just coming to church. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Real worship is when we're willing to give Jesus nothing less than everything we are and everything that we have. That's because nothing but that would adequately express his value and his worth. And nothing less than this would express the depth of gratitude that should be in our hearts for all that he has done for us. So this morning, this is the question that Mary brings to us. Are we willing to lay down our lives as living sacrifices for Jesus? Are we willing to give him our best? Are we eager to be extravagant in giving our time, or our resources, or our love, or our focus? Are we willing to worship like Mary worshipped? And give Jesus our all? And are we willing to do this even when we're surrounded by people who think that we're crazy to do it? For Mary to express this extravagant gift to Jesus she to stand against the leaders of her nation, her religious leaders. Remember last week we read in John chapter 11 how the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. They were dead against Jesus. They were wanting to kill him. And if we are going to honour Christ, then we too need to be willing to go against the flow and the influence and the pressure of our world. We need to stand out as being different. Like aliens and strangers in the world, as Peter puts it, or as Hebrews says, we need to be willing to go, out, go to him outside of the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. Laying down everything for Jesus is not the way the world lives. Never was, and it never will be. But it's what Jesus calls us to get. But unfortunately, it's not just the world that we sometimes need to stand against. When Judas saw what Mary did, he objected. Verse 5, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Now, of course, he didn't say this because he was concerned for the poor. Instead, it was because he was a thief. As the treasurer for this group of disciples, he would have been able to help himself to the money that this perfume could have been sold for. Rather than giving it to the poor, he would have helped himself to that. But you know, Mary didn't know that at the time. And Matthew actually tells us that some of the other disciples joined in with Judas in their criticism of Mary. 
So here's this, this picture. Mary expresses her love and her devotion to Jesus in this beautiful way. And the result of it, she is to suffer the criticism and accusations of his disciples. She worships Jesus and is criticized by Jesus' followers. And it's a sad reality that if we are going to lay down our lives for Jesus, then it might not be the world that we just need to stand against. We might not just need to face the opposition from the world. We may actually have to stand against the criticism of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Who might question our motives, or condemn our methods, or point the finger and say that we're just crazy. We've done it wrong. And if you've ever experienced this criticism and you know how painful this is. But as Megan was reminding us this morning, we're not called to to follow the opinions of others. We're not called to seek their approval. Instead, we're called to follow Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow, follow me. But Judas's criticism also shows how Mary had also to overcome the distractions of good causes, other good causes. Mary could have done lots of stuff with this perfume. This resource could have been used to meet the needs of many, many people. And caring for the poor is important. Jesus encouraged his critics to help the poor anytime they wanted. But Jesus also strongly defended Mary in her actions. Leave her alone, Jesus said. You will always have the poor among you. But you'll not always have me. This is about priorities here. There are many things, good things that we could do with our lives. Many good causes that we could devote our time and our money to. But if we're followers of Jesus, then we're called to have a clear priority. As servants of Christ, we should serve Him first. That is who should come first. This is what Jesus said, seek first His kingdom. And his righteousness. And when Mary did this, she actually did something that had a greater significance than even I think she understood. Unknown to everyone else, this was just six days before Jesus was going to die on the cross. So he said it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. In anointing Jesus there that day at that dinner, she was actually anointing Jesus for his burial. And if you remember, she was the only one who had that privilege. Remember the woman who came on Easter Sunday to do that? They were too late. Because they heard the message, he's not here, he is risen. So I wonder if this meant 
if this means that the smell of that pungent perfume lingered on Jesus right up to his burial. As Jesus endured the cross, could he smell this perfume so extravagantly poured out on him? As he experienced the brutal events of that day, was he encouraged by the lingering smell of Mary's worship? Was he strengthened by this reminder of her love? I don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus deeply appreciated this act of love. In Mark, it's recorded that Jesus said, she has done a beautiful thing to me. And I think this is an amazing thought. In laying down our lives as living sacrifices, we can please the Lord. This is what Paul paid for the church in Colossae. So that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. So many things that we can do with our lives. So many things that we can give ourselves to. So many focuses and ambitions we could have. But surely there's nothing so, anything, there's nothing so important or valuable or eternally significant as living to honour our Lord and Saviour and please Him. Could we make that our goal? To bring pleasure to the Lord? As Christians, we often minimise what following Jesus means. We can live as if it's just about coming to church once a week. That's that's our duty done. Or maybe putting a couple of euro in the box at the back. Or maybe reading our Bibles and praying now and again. That's it. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But Martha and Mary and Lazarus shows us that Jesus deserves so much more than that. Our love for him should lead us to seek to work enthusiastically, to witness effectively, And probably most of all, to worship extravagantly. I only knew one of my grandfathers. That my other granddad had died before I was born. But this grandfather, my granddad, was a committed Christian. And who served all his life in the church that he planted when he was just a teenager in Scotland. But in his later years, he suffered from severe dementia a really difficult time. He was in a nursing home and often he wouldn't recognise my mum and dad when they visited. But sometimes my dad would ask him to play his harmonica, his mouth organ. And he would begin to play one of his favourite tunes in this, uh, in this harmonica. But nearly always that initial tune, it would be lost. And he would always end up playing the same tune every time. This is the hymn. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him. In His presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Saviour. I surrender all. That's the extravagance that Jesus is looking for. 
in our lives. That's the extravagance that Jesus alone deserves.